Hello, and welcome back to the A to Z Animal Podcast. I'm your host, Michaela Baratka, and of course, any little bird noises you may hear is my unofficial co-host, Pickle, my canary wing parakeet. She is very cute, so I recommend checking her out on Instagram at PickleTheCanaryWing. So sorry we ended up delaying the release of this episode. My semester officially started the Friday before it was meant to come out, and while I only had one class, my weekend was super hectic. I mean, sure, the bird watching kayaking trip I took Sunday didn't help the fact this episode wasn't done on time, but hey, you know how I feel about birds. On a related note, my semester is in full swing, so I am deciding to switch from weekly episodes to every other week. This is partly so the episodes are thoroughly researched, but mainly for my own mental health. Before we dive in, remember that you can find all my sources linked in the show notes and transcript, which are available on our website, the A to Z Animal Podcast.com, under the Episodes tab. Resources to help this week's animal will also be linked there. Additionally, any ecology terminology that may be used often most likely can be found on our glossary page. I will be defining words that we may not encounter as often in an individual episode. If you have any feedback or recommendations for a letter, feel free to contact me at Mickey Bear or at A to Z Animal Pod on Twitter and Instagram. There's also a form that you can fill out for animal suggestions on our website. Even if we've done that letter, still feel free to submit as hopefully we'll get the chance to circle back around. We started with A for I.I., our weird little lemur friend, followed by B for Binturong, the bear cat, and then C for Caracal, or the desert lynx. After that, we discussed the long-overlooked Dole, or Asiatic wild dog, and critically endangered European mink. From there, we talked about my new favorite crocodilian, the false gharial, and then the possibly extinct Glaucus macaw. Today, we remain in the realm of birds as we explore H for harpy eagle. I know the past two episodes we haven't really talked about the scientific name first, but we're going back to doing it first. The scientific name of the harpy eagle is Harpia harpia. Unlike our caracal friends, the genus and species names are not the same, even though they may sound like it. The genus ends in I-A, while the species ends in Y-J-A. While I couldn't find an official clear-cut etymology, it's pretty clear from both the word itself and everything I read that it comes from the ancient Greek harpy. If you don't know, the harpy is a winged monster which I've often seen depicted as some sort of massive scary bird creature. Most famously, or at least in my opinion, is the harpy in William Shakespeare's The Tempest. At one point, Ariel transforms themselves... himself? Ariel is kind of a weird amorphous fairy creature, so I'm not sure what pronouns the bard would like me to use here, into a harpy to scare off the shipwrecked nobleman from Prospero's island. There are some great film adaptations of this play, and I highly recommend watching them if you're not someone who enjoys reading Shakespeare. The species name, well, not the same spelling, also comes from the ancient Greek word meaning harpy. I guess it was spelled harpi- harpia? Harpia? I, uh, H-A-R-P-Y-I-A. I mean, using our alphabet. And therefore, we have two iterations of the word? I don't know. I'm not a linguistics major. Either way, this bird is named after an ancient mythological wind spirit that would carry souls to Hades or tartar sauce. Wait, sorry, I mean Tartarus. While their name may stem from a scary spirit that spans the test of time, they do in fact have a corporeal form. Is corporeal even the right term here? Like, does corporeal only mean human corpses? Okay, so I looked up the definition of corporeal, and technically it just means, like, the physical body that one soul embodies, more or less. So I guess technically I used it right. Like, these birds aren't just wind spirits snatching people's souls. They have a body and are a legitimate animal. 
Before we dive into what said corporeal forms look like, first maybe we should talk about the second half of its common name. Like, I think we've all figured out what the harpy means or refers to in its name, but what about the eagle? We learned last week what makes a parrot a parrot, so what makes an eagle an eagle? If you're an American, you probably weren't aware that eagles came in other forms than bald. But let me tell you, friends, eagles come in all sorts of varieties. Personally, my favorite would either be the golden eagle, which looks like a really massive juvenile bald eagle, or the wedgetail eagle, which is native to Australia. But we aren't here to talk about those guys. So, according to the Encyclopedia Britannica, eagles are large, heavy-beaked, big-footed birds of prey belonging to the family Accipitridae within the order Accipitriformes. And these birds are typically stronger than a Buteo, which I have just learned is the genus that buzzards and hawks belong to. I could be mistaken as I was unable to find anything to confirm this, but it seems like eagles out of all the raptors or birds of prey typically are the strongest. I mean, obviously there are several species of eagle, so some may be stronger than others, but it seems like they're the largest on average, so probably also the strongest. I don't know. Maybe I'll go around the world and do a study testing the grip and beak strength of different species of raptors. Or maybe you'll beat me to it, or maybe someone else has already beaten me to it. Sorry, I'm just brainstorming now instead of giving you any actual information. Also, just wanted to mention this real quick. The harpy eagle is most closely related to the crested eagle, Morphnus guaniensis, and the New Guinea harpy eagle, Harpiopis novaginia. Okay. We got on eagles, cool. Let's talk about what makes this particular species worthy of being named after a mythical creature. Well, for starters, this bird is the largest eagle in the Americas. So if you've ever seen how big a bald eagle is, yeah, these guys are larger than that. Their wingspan is anywhere up to six and a half feet wide. My wingspan is literally a foot less than that. Okay, fine, yeah, I'm short, but six and a half feet is long. Okay, technically eight inches, but you get the point. They also measure about three feet from beak to tail. For reference, our little pickle is about 13 inches. I haven't actually measured her, but her species is typically around that size. Okay, for better reference, it's like the height of a toddler. Aside from being the largest of the American eagles, in my opinion, they're also the most distinctive. Okay, sure, Stellar Sea Eagle up in Alaska is kind of funky looking too, but I still think these guys take the cake. Side note, I literally didn't know about the Stellar Sea Eagle until I visited the National Aviary back in May, which yeah, I've been in Pittsburgh for three years. I should have visited before, but you know what? I didn't have a car. Anyway, these birds are massive and so beautiful. And like I said, found in Alaska, so they're out there living with the grizzlies. So I imagine, very powerful. We got on the letter S, so just go look them up. They're so cool. And of course, if you're in Pittsburgh, check out the aviary. Back to the harpy eagle. So with birds, many species have some form of sexual dimorphism, meaning males and females look differently. In the case of the harpy eagle, their coloration and plumage is pretty much the same. The biggest difference is that females are significantly larger than the male counterparts. This is actually pretty typical for birds of prey because like many animals, the females are calling the shots. This eagle's plumage will change throughout the first few years of its life until it reaches adulthood. But I'll touch onto that when we get into reproduction. As for adults, they have a gray head with black wings and back, along with a black breastband and dark tail with white bands. As for the faces, they're slate gray. They also have a facial disc, which is a ring of feathers that circle their face, which they can raise and lower at will. 
if you've seen a cockatoo's crest, it's kind of like that, but all the way around their face. They will raise these feathers to help triangulate sound into their ears, which in turn allows them to hear their prey better. And just like the cockatoo I just mentioned, they also have a long crest which can be lifted at will. Now, if you're not listening to this episode on our website and therefore you don't see a photo of them, I highly recommend you go look up what these guys look like. I mean, even reading back that description I just gave you, I don't feel like it does these eagles justice. You won't regret it. I'm sure you know that birds of prey have talons. I mean, they've got to have some means of grasping their prey. Well, the harpy eagle has black talons that can reach up to five inches long. For reference, those are longer than a grizzly bear's claws. You know, those big bears that stand roughly eight feet tall. Keep these talons in mind when we start talking about their prey. But before that, let's talk about where we're going to find these guys. Well, I just said they're the largest eagle species in the Americas, but... They aren't really found in North America. Most of their range today is within Brazil and neighboring countries in South America, but they do extend north into southern Mexico. That being said, their range in Central America is declining due to habitat loss. According to the Peregrine Fund, an organization working on the conservation of birds of prey around the globe, their historic range goes from southern Mexico through Central and South America to northern Argentina. We'll go a little more in depth on some of the Central American populations when we go into conservation. This is a neotropical species, and if you don't know what neotropical means, it means the tropics in the New World, so in Central and South America. I mean, I kind of already suggested this, but this vocabulary is important to know. They really love rainforests, so it should be no surprise that they call the Amazon their home. They use lower elevations to find prey, while, much like other birds of prey, nest in tall trees. I didn't read this, but I'm sure that it is especially important for these guys to nest up high. The rainforest is surely teeming with individuals ready to make a snack out of their eggs. That being said, birds of prey do invest a great deal of parental investment, so I'm sure no one is really itching to get in a fight with those talons. Speaking of talons, what are they going to be catching with them? Wow, I'm both so good and so bad at transitions. Well, these birds are apex predators, and they will go after anything they can, really. Their prey includes opossums, monkeys, sloths, young deer, snakes, iguanas, and porcupines. Their talons are so powerful that they can snatch prey that is up to 17 pounds or 7.7 kilograms. Now remember, they have to snatch that prey from the ground and then move it to some place to enjoy. It's not like they're just tackling them and that's it. Their larger prey is often taken to a stump or low branch and then partially eaten because they're not going to be able to take it up to the nest. Now, that being said, most food isn't being found on the forest floor, so the trip back up to the nest isn't as long. Instead, they're hunting largely in the canopy in the understory, or lower level of plant growth. Now, I should mention the larger prey, such as these 17-pound monkeys or sloths, are often caught by the larger females. Makes sense, as the larger and more powerful the bird, the larger the prey they're going to be able to catch. Smaller and more agile, as well as faster males, take the smaller food items, but gather larger quantities of them. This is actually beneficial to the eagles, as this will increase the pair's odds of eating on a regular basis. Oh yeah, these eagles are monogamous. I haven't gotten to mating and nesting yet, so I forgot to mention it, but they do work as a team. Now, unlike some other birds of prey, such as hawks, the harpy eagle does not exert energy by soaring through the sky looking for prey. Instead, they perch silently in trees for hours. Literally hours. They have been documented doing this for 23 hours looking for prey. 
They can do this not only because of their excellent hearing with their facial disc and crest, but because they have amazing vision. They can spot something an inch big that is 220 yards or 200 meters away. For reference, without my glasses or contacts, I can't see my 13-inch laptop screen a foot away from my face clearly. They can also turn their heads upside down to get a better look at their potential meal. I'm not sure how this helps, but the San Diego Zoo says it does, so I'll take their word for it. When they finally spot their meal, they will dive down and catch it. If need be, they can chase their prey, and odds are they'll catch it, as they can fly up to 50 miles or 80 kilometers an hour. Now, this may seem fast, but they aren't the fastest birds of prey. I mean, they aren't even faster than a cheetah, really. Peregrine falcons hold the record for being the fastest animals in the world. These birds you can find in the United States, and in fact, some live on my college campus at the top of our trellis building. If you want to check them out, the National Aviary has a nest cam for them. I'll link it on our website. Most likely, these eagles don't gain the speed the falcons do, largely because of their size. In nature, we have trade-offs, and growing to be one of the biggest birds of prey in the world definitely takes energy. Also, since birds can't cool down, flying much faster may cause them to overheat. Now again, I didn't read that. I'm just guessing as someone who's in their final year of undergrad studying ecology and evolution. When they finally catch their prey, the harpy's talons will exert several hundred pounds of pressure, at least over 50 kilograms, crushing the prey's bones and killing them instantaneously. Look, I love birds, but after reading that, I think I'll hug that grizzly bear before I befriend a harpy eagle. Also, real quick, these guys are diurnal and active during the day, but they don't hunt every day. In fact, these birds can go a week without eating. Okay, let's talk about reproduction. As I mentioned, harpy eagles are monogamous, but they may even mate for life. Monogamy is actually fairly common with birds, but sometimes individuals will switch up partners after a breeding season. However, this species seems to stick with the same individual between seasons. This makes sense, as both parents will put time and energy into raising their young. If you know your partner is evolutionary fit and invest equal energy into caring for your offspring, you're going to want to stick around because that's a pretty good deal in nature. But before we get into the actual process of having baby harpy eagles, let's talk about nests. Of course, as birds, they need to make them. These birds prefer silk cotton trees, also known as kapok trees, for nesting. They build nests 90 to 140 feet or 27 to 43 meters off the ground. As someone afraid of heights, that's kind of scary to think about. It has been reported that these birds like to use trees with widely spaced branches so there is a clear flight path to and from the nest. Once the ideal location is selected, they use large sticks to create the huge frame of the nest. It's then limed with softer greens, seed pods, and animal fur to make it warm and cozy. And it should be no surprise that these nests are massive as they are home to some massive birds. They're typically around 4 feet or 1.2 meters thick and 5 feet or 1.5 meters across. I could very easily lie in this nest and take a nap without feeling squished. I would hate the experience because, like I said, I'm afraid of heights, but it would probably be a very comfortable nap spot. Wait, no, actually, I take that back. I'm very allergic to fur of most animals, so I'd probably die. Once the nest is complete, the birds may choose to reuse it and even remodel it throughout the years. I didn't find anything about what would cause them to want to make a new nest, but I'm assuming resource availability and climate conditions would play a role in that. Okay. We've got a mate, we've got a nest. All that's left is to lay some eggs. A female may lay a clutch every two to three years, and within that clutch we'll have one to two eggs. And as I've mentioned a few times, both parents invest energy into the offspring. 
and so both mom and dad take turns incubating the eggs. That being said, females do take most of the responsibility when it comes to incubation, but that doesn't mean the male doesn't help. I mean, it's better than some species where the male just leaves. Real quick, fun fact, one of the reasons these birds' coloration is so similar is because both parents invest energy into offspring. When females are the sole providers for a nest, the males often evolve to become more brightly colored as females are more choosy about mates. This is because she knows she's going to be doing all the work, so she wants to make sure that she mates with the best male. In nature, vibrant colors are often a proxy for best fitness or best genes. Now, when it comes to the harpy eagle, despite sharing responsibility for the eggs and hatchlings, the egg to hatch first is more likely to survive. This is because the first hatchling receives the most attention, as the parents aim to have one survive. So why lay a second egg? Well, there's no guarantee that the first egg will hatch or survive even if it receives the bulk of attention. So scientists think this second egg is a backup plan so they don't have to start all over. And way back when we talked about coloration of the animals, I said the hatchlings have different coloration. So what do hatchlings look like? Well, they're all white and don't attain their full adult plumage until they're about three years old. Now, that doesn't mean that they're adults at that point. That doesn't really happen until about five years old. For the first 10 months of its life, both parents will take turns feeding the chick. At about five to six months old, harpy chicks are ready to fledge or leave the nest, but they typically hang around for over a year trying to get meals from their parents. At this point, the parents are kind of over it, so they gradually provide less and less food, forcing the young eagle to go off and fend for themselves. That being said, even once they leave the nest and are fully mature, it's not unusual for these birds to return and nest in their quote-unquote home tree. At five years old, they're ready to start reproducing and will continue to do so until about 30 years old or even older. Despite the length of reproductive age for this species, a pair most likely will not raise many young, simply because of the energy invested into each chick. Also, you may be sitting here asking yourself, why if a chick leaves the nest after a year do these birds reproduce every two to three years? Well, the answer is simple. They need time to recover. Because they invest so much energy into their hatchlings, the adult eagles need time to regain some of that energy. The goal for these birds is not quantity, but quality of offspring. And this is true for many larger species across different classes. Now, as for lifespan, we think they live between 25 and 35 years in the wild. That being said, a zoo in Panama had an individual live into its 60s. It is thought that they live for a shorter amount of time in the wild as they have to face more threats like competition for food or human persecution. So I wasn't sure where to put their calls because a lot of the species we've talked about so far aren't really loud, but you know birds, they almost never shut up. That's a lie, they totally do or they'd all be eaten or never catch prey, but you get my point, they're loud. So like the harpy eagle is actually a fairly quiet bird comparatively. I don't know what that's like. I mean, you've heard the end of the episodes of all the clips I've cut out of Pickle screaming. Fun fact, if you don't hear Pickle at the end of an episode, it's because she's either eating or asleep. A few times, including this episode, I've had to film after her bedtime, and a few times she's decided to munch away on some food while filming, so it makes her sit silently. Anyway, these birds do make noises. They wail, croak, whistle, click, and mew, according to the San Diego Zoo. Also, according to our friend the San Diego Zoo, the wail of a harpy eagle sounds like wee or wee-oo. I'm sure it sounds much cooler than how I just said it. Okay, fun facts. I almost forgot about fun facts because we didn't have any last week, but don't worry, I totally didn't just add this section to the script the last minute. I realized I left it out. 
My first fun fact I've already shared, but I still can't get over it. The talons on this bird are larger than a grizzly's claws. That to me is insane. Like my brain just can't wrap my head around that. Okay, this fun fact may not be as fun to everyone, but any ecology folks out there will enjoy it. Because this species is an apex predator, it can serve as an indicator species, informing wildlife biologists and conservation scientists of the overall health of an ecosystem. If we find a healthy number of harpy eagles, we know there must be a healthy number of prey for it to feed upon. This in turn gives us some information on the ecosystem as we know that the food web is stable, as for the prey to be present, their diet of choice must also be there, and so on. Alright, I'll just do one more fun fact before we move on. While harpy eagles are the apex predator, meaning nothing really eats them, jaguars and ocelots may on occasion. This is super cool to me because remember, they've got these massive crushing talons and can fly super fast. So how do these cats catch them? I don't know, but that's the circle of life, baby. Much like the other species we've talked about, this species is threatened due to the, due to the actions of humans. As we remove large regions of rainforest for logging, agriculture, and development, we remove vital habitat for this species. And we know they need super tall trees to nest in, so removing these trees from the environment is going to decrease reproduction. In fact, these birds require several square miles of undisturbed forest to survive. And they need this land year-round because they aren't a migratory species. On top of that, poaching and hunting for sport are major threats to this bird. And because they don't raise a large clutch every year, it's difficult to replace the individuals who are removed for these selfish reasons. In turn, the population struggles to naturally recover. Now, I said earlier I would talk about the sections of their range where they aren't doing so hot. Well, only one breeding pair is known in Belize, and they're actually thought to be extinct in El Salvador. I will say the largest breeding population we know of is in Panama near the Colombian border, so that's good. The other good news is that this species is actually only classified as near-threatened according to the IUCN Red List. Their populations are declining, so it is important that we take action sooner rather than later to help preserve genetic diversity. Now, until recently, only the San Diego Zoo bred these birds in the U.S. Zoo Miami now has since been able to rear a chick from parents that came from the San Diego Zoo, so we know that captive breeding and reintroduction efforts are possible. San Diego alone has had 15 eagles since 1992. That's pretty impressive. Bonus, in 1998, they were actually able to reintroduce two of those chicks into Panama. Additionally, the zoo works with the Peregrine Fund, which I briefly talked about already, to help release these birds into the wild, and in 1989, they launched the Harpy Eagle Release Project to help bolster the population. Peregrine Fund and the San Diego Zoo are both linked on our website. Both of these organizations are a great way to support this species. Additionally, other organizations such as the American Bird Conservancy and a Panama-based conservation group called White Hawk Birding are also linked. They all have projects to help this species. I've also linked a few articles about the conservation efforts that are underway on the website so that you can do some more reading on the approaches they are taking. Because this episode is already getting fairly long, I'm not going to go too in-depth, but it does seem like they're making great progress. Okay, I'm going to wrap it up there simply because I'm way behind schedule on getting this episode out and it's already so much longer than I was expecting it to be. At least the script is. Like I said, Lots of resources to help these birds are found on the website, so please go check them out if you want to help. I hope you enjoyed learning about the powerful harpy eagle with me. Feel free to follow at A to Z Animal Pod on Instagram and Twitter for updates about upcoming episodes. And again, just a reminder, I am moving to uploading every other week for my own sanity. That being said, there may be weeks I have to skip because of exams or something, so if you want to know what's going on, follow us on social media. 
end, if you made it this far, please feel free to give me some feedback via over social media or email. All my contact information can be found on the A to Z animal podcast.com. What do you think I did well? What topic did I gloss over too fast? Do you want longer episodes, shorter episodes? Any feedback is so highly appreciated as I am brand new to hosting a podcast and a million things I could approve on. Thank you so much for listening to the A to Z Animal Podcast. I'm Michaela Baratka, and I hope you'll tune in next time as we move into letter I for Yui, another bird species, but this time bright red and native to Hawaii. Have a great day and stay safe. Excipitra day,